Let's go ahead and jump into the message this morning. We are in our Moving Towards Maturity series. We've been kind of in this for a little while, and I've been enjoying kind of talking about these things and kind of allowing uh, the idea of movement to kind of be a part of learning how we are maturing in Christ, how He wants us to keep growing. And, and we've kind of learned and, and even talked about how, you know, when we stop moving, a lot of times that's when we get into trouble and things don't continue to move towards maturity and becoming more and more like Jesus. Our main verse for the, the, uh, the series has been Hebrews 6, 1a. In Hebrews 6, 1a, it says this. It says, therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. It's important that we continue to grow and continue to move and continue to allow what Christ is wanting to transform us into, which is himself, to continue to be something that is a part of our lives. We don't ever want to get to a place of stagnation or a place where we kind of look at our lives and go, you know, I haven't really been growing. I haven't really been experiencing the things that God really wants me to, to grow in and experience and to know him better. And so this series has kind of been taking some of those ideas and habits and understandings that we need to apply to our lives to help that take place. And this morning, as we kind of look at something a little bit different, I want to kind of explain a little bit about this to you. Not that this isn't normal, but this is maybe a little different than what we've done in the past. This is really going to be an opportunity for me to kind of share with you some things that have taken place in my life, some struggles that I've had in this particular area, and, and really this is an opportunity for me in a kind of a different way, not that I haven't done this in the past, but, but to kind of open up my heart and kind of share some struggles I have had with this particular topic because you would think that what we're going to be talking about this morning that I should be good at, that I would be perfect at, or that I would be better even at it than, than most people, and I'm just here to tell you I'm not. This is an area of my growth and that where I need to grow up and continue to do better at, but at the same time, it's an area that I feel like most of us sometimes can get into. Most of us can get into this type of a place where a lot of us are standing still, we're not moving in regards to sharing our faith, in regards to being able to, to share the hope that we have with others. And there's, here's the deal, there's many, many reasons why we struggle in these areas. And here's the deal, I, I've put some of these on your no, in your notes, I've put them up on the screen. These are things that honestly I have shared in my own life that I kind of put down, like going like, this is one of the reasons why. For me, it sometimes can be hard, but it's also throughout my ministry when I talk to people about this topic that they've kind of told me. And so I'm sure that as you look at this list with me, some of these are going to resonate with you and you're going to be like, yeah, sometimes this is where I struggle as well. So let's start with this idea of reasons why we don't share our faith. Number one, it can be awkward. It can be very, very awkward. It's like you don't know how to start, you don't know how to, to share, you don't know how do you kind of get to that place, and it kind of is, is awkward. In fact, I heard someone once tell me, it's like sometimes for them, when they witness, it's like it, they're, they're trying to, they're trying to it, it just never feels natural to them. And so it's awkward. And so because it's awkward, we don't share our faith. We don't tell people about who Jesus is in our life. The second one, we're scared of what people will think. You know, well, I work with this individual, and, and are they going to think I'm strange or weird? Are they going to think I don't understand the, the world? Or, or are they going to think I'm this or that? And so we're, we're concerned. I've heard this one. I'm an introvert. That's just not who I am. I'm, I'm more quiet. I'm more, more you know, I don't, don't share those things. I've heard, I don't know enough about the Bible. You've heard that one? I, I can't share my faith. I don't know enough about the Bible. What if they ask me this question? Or what if they get into this idea or this thought? I won't be able to have an answer. And so I just don't share. Number, number, whatever number this is, I don't have an opportunity to share. Some of you, that's what I've heard. I don't have an opportunity to share. I've heard it's not my gifting. You know, we spiritualize it. You know? I'm not gifted in that area. You know, it's not my gifting. I don't have enough time for that one. I've heard this one. I don't know any unbelievers. How can I share my faith if I don't know anybody that doesn't have faith in Jesus? And so we use that as an excuse. And then this one, my life is currently not perfect. What do I mean by that? It means basically you kind of look at your life and you go, you know, I don't know if I can share my faith because honestly my faith right now isn't where it needs to be. And we allow these things to kind of 
keep us from fulfilling what God has commanded us and required of us as followers of Him. And here's kind of where we're going to get into a little bit of my story and a little bit of these things. See, I, I grew up in the church. And, and I, used to, I, I used to say this, I still do, I kind of tease it, like, like my first Sunday was, you know, I was less than a week old. And I grew up in the church, and I experienced these things. I had grandparents and parents who, who followed Jesus. I grew up in a Christian home. And so I experienced all the cliches you can think of when it comes to growing up, especially in the 80s and in the 90s, in church and in youth group. And I remember being told very, very young, you know, you need to share your faith. You need to share your faith. I remember one instance in particular. Again, this is kind of me opening up a little bit. Not that hopefully I do that a lot. But I remember um, because it was the 80s and because we were weird at the time. You know, I like to listen to Carmen. You remember Carmen? Yes. Oh, boy. And I remember there was a, a song that Carmen wrote and it was on, I believe, and, and this is aging me and I don't care because I think it's great. Um, it was on his Radically Saved cassette. There were no CDs, at least that I'd had, you know. And he sung a song about, I think he called it, and, and if you remember this, and I know probably Gordon is probably Googling this right now because he likes to, to, when I talk about music, he always thinks about it. But he did a song about um, um, soap operas. He did a song about soap operas. And so he, he sings this song and he talks about all the different soap operas by their name. And at this point, at the very end, he says something about um, turning to Jesus Christ, who's the only guiding light. Remember that? And I remember I was in fifth grade. And I was so, I was like, I'm going to share my faith. I'm gonna, I have some friends who don't know Jesus and I'm going to share. And so I came up with this great idea. I was going to quote the Carmen song to them and they were going to think it's so funny and then right at the end man I'm going to slide in that Jesus thing and you know what we're going to have a revival right there in Mrs. Jansen's fifth grade classroom and I remember I I did it I was so nervous so afraid and I did it I even know the boy and maybe he's listening so I'm not going to say his name but I got to the point about Jesus and I put it in there. And I was like, here we go. Holy Spirit's going to fall. We're going to have revival. We're going to get everybody saved. And he looked at me and he went, that's dumb. And I just, I mean, I went, no, 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 that's not how it's supposed to work. You see, I, 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 I shared my faith, <laughs> a cheesy Carmen song. And you're supposed to just say, oh, I'm a sinner, I need Jesus. And, and it didn't happen. In fact, it really hurt me. And I remember from that point on, I had a really, really hard time sharing my faith. I was scared to death about what other people would think. I was scared to death that I had to know the Bible so well. That I could, you know, you remember this, and again, nothing wrong with this. But I could take them down the Romans road of salvation. And you know what I found? I found that my understanding of sharing my faith was not necessarily a biblical one. My life was, and, and here's here I can tell you how it was, because my life was filled when it came to this, and I know some of you feel this way too. My life was filled with shame and guilt because I didn't share my faith. Because I read the end of Matthew and I heard over and over again as far as growing up in the church, you know, you are to be my disciple. You are to go to these places. And, and I knew that in my life, I was afraid. I would read scripture where Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father. And I was, I, I was scared. I didn't know what to do. And quite honestly... When it came to understanding this topic, I kind of just said, you know what? I don't get it. I don't understand. And so I let all the excuses keep me from really understanding what the scriptural biblical model of sharing our faith really is. And I became so afraid. And I remember I even went, and here's the thing, this, this, this took place when, when I was in junior high and in high school. 
I mean, people knew that I was a Christian, you know what I mean? But like, that was as far as it went. It was like, you know, I wouldn't talk to people about it. I'm ashamed to say, I just kind of kept it away. It was a part of me, but it was not really something that I did a lot. And I remember as I got older, and, and, and here's the deal, this was, this was the time of my life where God was calling me into the ministry. Now, I want you to stop and think about that for a second. Here's this young man who goes, I feel God is calling me into full-time ministry, but I don't know how to share my faith. I don't know how to communicate to someone that they need Jesus. What do I do? Like, I'm going, God, this isn't, this isn't how this is supposed to work. And over literally years, God began to transform some things in my heart and my life. He did it through many different ways. This morning, what I want to share is some of the things that I found that has helped me. I'm not perfect at this. There's still times where, I'll just be honest, like I kind of crawl back into that shell. But if we're going to move towards maturity, if we're going to grow, usually the things that we need to focus in on sometimes are the things that we're not so good at. And so maybe you are, maybe you're not. If you are, great. I hope this encourages you and helps you. If you're like me, where this sometimes can be a struggle and difficult, I pray that in some ways it will change your mindset of what it is to be a light, what it is to share your faith, what it is to really be an evangelist that God has called all of us to be a part of. Yes, there's giftings, and there's the gifting of the evangelist, and there's giftings of those things. But remember, this is an overarching thing that as disciples of Jesus, we're all told to go and make disciples. We're all called to this. And we're going to look at this in a little bit more depth in just a minute. But before we do, let's pray. Father, we come to you right now. And God, as we open our hearts to each other and to you, God, I pray that you would give us wisdom, guidance, and direction. That, Father, that as we share these things, and God, you know that as this was put together this week, I struggled. God, you know I struggled to try to make sense of these things and put this in a way that, that would help your people. And so, Jesus, not that I don't always, but I really need your help to communicate this correctly, to help us see what you desire for us to do to share, and to be. And so, God, I pray that you'd help us in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's the deal. Anytime that I have a struggle or I'm going, how do I live or how do I act, I always go to Jesus. And I would encourage you to do the same. Look at his life. Look at how he lived, how he communicated, how he helped people and things like that. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at how Jesus shows us about witnessing and evangelism. We're going to look at two separate stories that kind of, one really short, one a little bit lengthier, that really helped me understand a little bit different about what it was and what it is to share my faith and what it really is to be a witness to those around me. So we're going to start in Matthew 4. In Matthew 4, 18 and 19, Jesus is just starting his ministry. Many of you have heard this portion of Scripture before, but we're going to break it down and look at it a little bit closer. This is what it says. This is, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, that's Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. So listen, we've heard this scripture a lot. We, we typically in the church use this idea of fishing and, and things like that to kind of help us in this area. So this is a, a scripture that most of us have heard of, are aware of, and used. You know, if you've heard about witnessing or, or sharing your faith, this is typically one that is used. But I want to look at this a little bit, a little bit, maybe a little bit different. I want to break down some of these things and look a little bit deeper into these verses, okay? Because I think this is an important understanding that we have to move into our second story. So first of all, let's look at some deeper things here. Number one, we need to look at where the responsibilities lie. 
where the responsibilities lie, okay? In this scripture, we see two responsibilities that are fulfilled, number one, by Jesus, and then secondly, by us as followers of Jesus. And it's found very simply in the verse of 19, where it says, I'm going to, if you follow me, I will make you fishers of men. So what is Jesus's responsibility in this? Jesus's responsibility is I'm going to make you something. I'm going to transform you into something. Our responsibility is to follow him. What I've always felt and where I got trouble a lot of times was I thought I had to make myself a fisher of man. I had to get my testimony just right. I had to say just the right things. I had to know all the answers that could possibly be asked by someone who would challenge me or have a comment about my faith. I thought I was the one that had to be responsible for all of those things. But that's not what scripture tells us. What scripture says is my responsibility is to follow Jesus, to be more and more like him. And Jesus's responsibility is he is going to make me a fisher of man. But you have to understand what comes first. You see, a lot of us, we want to be a fisher of man, but we don't want to be a follower of Jesus. And you go, Aaron, how is that possible? It's easy. We want to follow our own way and do our own thing most of the time, but yet still enjoy the benefits that we get from having salvation in Jesus. And listen, I'm going to tell you right now, if you want to be a fisher of people, it won't work that way. You see, Christ wants to transform us into something. He's not looking at you to get it all figured out and get it perfect so then now you can be a fisher of man. He says, listen, you follow me. You learn from me. You become more like me. And when you do that, you will become something else. And he'll take care of that. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't look at things and try to get better at areas, but our focus is following him First, the second thing is that Jesus here is inviting us into an identity. Do you understand what he's doing? He's not basically saying, listen, to be a fisher of man, you have to get it all right. You have to figure it all out. You have to get it all perfect. He's simply saying, I'm going to create something different in you when you follow me. Something that will come simply because it is who you are. Let me tell you something. This is weird, but go with me for a second. I have absolutely no issue walking up to someone and saying, I am a father and a husband. Why? Because it's who I am. It's my identity in some ways. Now, it's not all of my identity, but it's who I am. So I'm not nervous about that. I don't walk up to somebody and say, I'm a father. Oh, dear It's just who I am. One of the things that Jesus is doing when we follow him is he's basically saying, I'm going to transform who you are. I'm going to change who you are, your identity, so that when you have a moment where you can share these things, it's very natural, it's very easy, because it's simply who you have been created to be. It's an identity thing. And here's the thing. A lot of times for many of us, The enemy lies to us or we lie to ourselves with our excuses and we basically say, my identity is not witness. My identity is not light. My identity is something different. When we look at what Jesus has communicated about his followers, there's not a, hey, you can be light if you're good at this or you can be my disciple if you enjoy this. It's all of us. But we have been created to become something different because of what Jesus is wanting to do in us and through us. It's who we are. It's not about getting better at a certain activity, but it's allowing Christ to transform us as we follow him. So we start here. We start with that understanding that, you know what? You know, as I follow Jesus, he's going to change me. He's going to make me into this thing. He's going to help me become what he's called me to be. There's a lot of peace in that, knowing that he will transform us. But there's another story that we need to look at. 
one that probably you may not necessarily have heard when you're talking about this particular topic, but it's very important. And again, it's a story that we look at because we see how Jesus handles the situation here. We're going to be in Mark 5. In Mark 5, we'll start here. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to break down some scripture. We're going to look at some scripture together. And then we're going to talk about some point that I want to pull out of it. And that's kind of what we'll be doing for the next section here. So in Mark 5, 1 through 2, here's what it says. It says, so they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of Garcinus. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from a cemetery to meet him. Okay, now, oh boy, here we go. So let me kind of tell you what's been going on here, okay? Jesus and his disciples have gotten in the boat. They've gone across the other side. We'll cover that in just a second. And they put on landfall. When they get there, they're in an interesting area. And basically when they get there, a demon-possessed man runs to Jesus, okay? Runs to him. Now, Knowing that about the story, I'm going to ask you a very trick question. I'm going to tell you it's a trick question before, so please don't get it wrong. Who is pursuing whom in this story? Now, if I didn't tell you it was a trick question, and I had just given you Mark 5, most of you would have responded, well, the demon-possessed man, he came and he comes to Jesus. But that's not the context of the entire story. Look at Mark 4. In Mark 4, 35, we see something very interesting. We're not going to get into the whole story. You're just going to get Mark 4, 35. It says, as evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. Now, it's very easy for us to look at this story and go, well, obviously the demon-possessed man is pursuing Jesus. But yet, Jesus, the night before says, listen, we need to go to the other side of the lake. We need to get there. We need, and here's the deal. A storm comes up during the night. And as the storm is blowing, these men that we know are fishermen, most of them are, are losing it. They're going, basically, we're going to die. Jesus is asleep downstairs, you know, down in the bottom of the boat. They wake him up. See, Jesus, don't you care that we're going to die? I'm paraphrasing. Jesus gets up. He says, hey, storm, quiet. And it does. And they arrive at the shore the next day. As they arrive, the demon-possessed man comes out. Now, if you start the story in Mark 5, you could say, oh, obviously the demon-possessed man is the man that pursued Jesus. But listen, Jesus is the one that said we got to go to the other side of the boat. You see, for some of us, we expect and have this thought that all the time, and listen, I'm not saying this won't happen. It's happened to me, and it's awesome when it does. We have this thought that, you know what, all the people are going to just come to me. They're just going to come to me. And sometimes, again, that happens. But in this particular story, in the model that we're seeing here, Jesus goes, you know what, I have to get to a place where people are that need me. Specifically, this individual Listen, this is kind of the idea that you need to get from this portion of Scripture. We need to understand that we need to move so we can pursue. We need to move so we can pursue. We're going to talk about later on some, some people that maybe God was going to lay on your heart to pursue. But listen, you need to be willing to say, you know what, if I have to get into a boat and go across the other side, even if there's storms that come out in that, I'm going to do it. I am not going to allow anything to keep me from pursuing the people that God has placed in my life. Because some of us, we go, you know, again, I don't know if this is the way I need to live. I don't know if this is the way I should handle these situations. But yet Jesus was a pursuer of people. He loved them enough to do whatever it took to get to them. Now, again, it's their choice once you get there but he still pursued. Let's continue on with Mark in the story. So Mark, starting with verse number three, and we're going to go to verse number five. It says, This man lived among the burial caves and could no longer be restrained even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed 
the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. So this is, this is an interesting situation. Now, you have to remember this, the area here, and we're not going to get into this. We don't have time this morning. But basically, this area was kind of called the Ten Hills area. And so basically, the geography of it is that basically kind of as you get off the shore, there are some hilly areas. This is where the burial areas were that he was around. And then down kind of below it were kind of these towns where people lived and so on and so forth. So the fact that this guy has chains on him means that they were aware of this guy. They were aware of his situation. They were aware of his, his, his condition. And so they said, listen, this isn't good. Maybe he's going to hurt somebody. Maybe he's going to hurt himself. They don't know what to do. And so basically, as we see in Scripture, they decide, hey, let's put some chains on him. Let's try to keep him contained to help him not hurt others or hurt himself. But it doesn't work. He breaks the chains. He doesn't, it doesn't keep him. He's howling. I mean, there's some serious stuff going on here. And one of the things that we need to understand is that they were trying to solve a spiritual problem with a physical solution. Listen, as we share our faith, we have got to understand that if you try to bring a physical solution to a spiritual problem, it'll be just like those chains. It won't work. They'll be broken to pieces. And for us as Christians, I've seen it a lot in the church recently. It's like we have to deal with these issues and these spiritual problems with some physical ideas and, 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 and solutions. And it just doesn't work. If we say it right, if we do it right, if we have this event or that event, well, then it will take place. Some of those things are not bad. Don't misunderstand me. But they are physical solutions to a spiritual problem. And one of the things we have to understand is that when we share our faith, it's a spiritual battle. This is a spiritual battle going on. You see, sometimes we forget that. We look at it and go, oh, well, it's this or it's that. No, no, this is eternity going on right in this moment. And for some of us, we think that if we can give enough good reasons why someone should accept Jesus that that'll be enough when it's a spiritual battle taking place in their heart and in their lives and in this situation this gentleman was not dealing necessarily with a physical situation yes physical things were being manifested in that but this was a spiritual problem and a lot of times in our hearts and our lives when we deal with people we deal and we try to deal with those things in their hearts and their life that are physical, that come out because of a spiritual situation inside of them. You're going to see in just a minute how Jesus handles this and how he doesn't deal with it in a physical way. And because he deals with it in a spiritual way, the physical is also changed. Now let's continue. Mark 5. A little bit of scripture here we're going to look at. So stay with me. Mark 5, starting with verse number 6. We're going to go all the way to, uh, to the middle of 15. It says, when Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torment me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, come out of the man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirit came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd, about 2,000 pigs, plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened, and a crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw uh, the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane. Now this is big. Okay, now when we read these scriptures, you know, it's like, man, whoa, what's going on here? And we can, we're, we're going to kind of look at something a little bit different here. But it's interesting in those amount of verses, 
we see a man completely and totally bound and in chains, spiritually speaking. And Jesus takes care of him. He sends those demons away, and the crowd shows up. And when the crowd shows up, they see this man clothed and perfectly sane. Something that we need to understand very much that we miss a lot of times. We need to understand that the gospel is not just a ticket to heaven, but an invitation to freedom and an encounter with Jesus in the present tense. A lot of us, when we share our faith, why do we share it? So that person doesn't go to hell. Now, is that true? Absolutely. I'm not saying it isn't. But what I have found is what Christ is doing even in that act is he's breeding freedom to the captives. He is taking people that are bound and chained and in bondage and he's bringing freedom to them. And for us, we need to look at it the same way. Yes, they're going to go to heaven. Is that awesome? Absolutely. Is that wonderful? You bet it is. But we have to understand that Jesus shows up and he doesn't look at this guy and doesn't say, hey, listen, one day you'll be with me in paradise. He says, basically, I'm going to bring freedom to a captive. I'm going to take someone who's bound up in a spiritual battle and I'm going to do something that only I can do. And he ministers to him in that way. And it changes the man. Just like how Jesus changed you and me. Now listen, we may not have the same type of bondage that this man had. You may not have the same type of bondage that someone else has in your home or in your family. But one thing I've learned about human beings is that we are bound up. And we need freedom that only Christ can bring. And for some of us, we need to understand that our job when we come in contact with people that don't know him is to proclaim freedom to the captive and say, listen, listen, I understand you're going through some of these things, but you need to understand that Jesus has come to bring you life and life abundantly, that he's come to bring freedom for the areas that you are bound up in. And listen, you can try to find freedom in other areas, in other things, in other situations, but you will always find a lack because there's only one person who can bring us the freedom. It's Jesus. But let's continue because the story doesn't stop there. Look at Mark 5. Now we're going to start with verse 15. We're going to finish the second part of 15. It says, after he was found perfectly clothed in a saint, and, and sane, they were all afraid. Who's afraid? The crowd's afraid. All the people that have seen this guy, and now he's, he's sane, and, and everything's, he's been set free, and they're afraid. Then those who had seen what had happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs, and the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. Now, that's interesting here. We're going to continue in just a moment. But Jesus just did something absolutely incredible. Something that you would have thought would have taken these people and gone, my goodness, look at the freedom that has been brought to this man. Jesus, can you help us? Can you show us all these things? But they don't. They get afraid. And they want Jesus to go. There's a reason, and we'll see that in a moment. So they tell him to go. So Jesus, listen, he doesn't argue. He doesn't take them down, you know, well, listen, let me explain who I am. And he just simply says, okay. He's not bothered by it. He's not hurt by it. He just basically continues. Let's work at verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But look at verse 19. But Jesus said, no, no. Go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him and everyone was amazed at what he had told them. Now think about this for just a moment. 
20 minutes ago, and maybe that's, okay, an hour ago, we don't know, this guy was possessed by multiple demons. He has an encounter with Jesus. He is made completely whole in that moment. And what's he want to do? I want to go with Jesus. I mean, hey, that's, yeah. I, I, yes, I would want to go to Jesus too. But Jesus says, no. He says, no. He says, here's what I need you to do. He says, go back to your family. Go back to the people in your life and begin to share. Listen, what I have done for you. What I have done. I remember the moment I realized that you know what I need to do sometimes just to be light? It's just to tell people what Jesus has done for me. I don't have to take them down a theological discussion and get into eschatology and all the big words. I just have to say, you know what? I was lost, and Jesus found me. I was, I was bound, and he made me free. That's what he did. That's what he did for me. That's what Jesus tells him to do. He says, just go tell people what God has done for you. Go tell them how he's been set, how you've been set free. Tell them all the stuff. Interesting enough, like we don't want to tell people the stuff. We want to be like, oh, well, listen, I was nearly perfect, and then Jesus came and saved me just because he was nice. No. How were people amazed? People aren't amazed by that. Why were they amazed? Because this guy says, listen, I was bound up, seriously bound up, and I had an encounter with Jesus. And it changed my whole world. It changed everything. And people went, whoa. And I guarantee you, people were like, man, I knew that guy. Hey, I was on the, the, the group that went and put chains on that guy. I watched that man take chains and go. And now he's proclaiming that he's been set free. Who set him free? I want to know his story. And it's so important. And listen, let me, let me tell you something. You know, some of us go, oh, isn't that nice? Isn't that where the story ends? The story doesn't end there. Because I'll tell you what, he does an amazing job. Let me show you how we know that. Go to Mark 7. In Mark 7, Jesus returns to the ten towns. When he gets there, look. Look what happens. Now, this is what happens when, when we will go out, let Jesus first and foremost do something amazing in us, and then go to people and say, let me just tell you what Jesus did for me. It says, Jesus left Tyre and went up to Sidon, uh, Sidon before going back to the Sea of Galilee and the region of the Ten Towns. Where did Jesus go tell the guy to go tell his story? The Ten Towns. A deaf man with a speech impediment was brought to him and the people begged Jesus to lay his hands on the man to heal him. Jesus led him away from the crowd so they could be alone. Now he's obviously going to heal the man, but I want you to think about this. Some of you have read that over and over again and never understood why is this here. It's simple. This man, who these people, when this man is set free, they are scared and say, go away, Jesus. We don't want anything to do with you. We don't understand. We want you to go away. When Jesus comes back, a crowd brings someone that needs healing and to be set free again to him. You don't think that man made a difference? Who was he? He didn't have a Bible degree. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't Paul. He was a formerly demon-possessed man. And because he just shared his story, a crowd of people, when Jesus shows up, go to him and say, listen, Jesus, we know you're the only one who can do this. We know you are the only one that can do something in this man's life. Because if you could do it in his life, you could do it in this person's life. 
We need to understand that our job as a witness is to testify about what Jesus has done in our lives. It's not, listen, listen, you need to get this imagery out of your head because I had it for years. And the imagery was, was the idea of a courtroom. The idea was that I was the prosecuting attorney. That was my job. And the, 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 the uh, jury was over here. And those are the people that didn't know Jesus. And so my job was to stand in front of them and proclaim this and that and, and convince them so the jury would say, oh, yes, the jury has come back and come to a decision. And the decision is, Jesus is Lord. And if they didn't do that, I failed as an attorney. That's not the biblical picture that God has given us. The biblical picture is, yes, there's a jury box. Yes, there is an attorney. His name is the Holy Spirit. My job in that picture, your job in that picture, because we're in it, is we're in the witness box. Our job is to simply tell people what Christ has done how he's changed us. Not that we're perfect, not that we got it all together, but that he is working in us and through us. So in that concept, it's very interesting, we need to understand this as well. What are we a witness of? What are we a witness of? And here's the deal, this is when we throw around these Christian words that many of us have heard for years, but we don't necessarily understand in depth what they mean, but they're just something that we kind of say all the time. And the, the thing is, is we're supposed to tell the gospel. We're supposed to tell the good news. But what is that? Here's the deal. Here's what's interesting about that concept of the good news. That's actually something we stole as Christians from the Romans. That was a Roman idea and thought. Here's how this would work. If you were a Roman person at the time and something good happened in the Roman Empire, okay, because obviously it was huge, they would send out, you know, they want a battle or something like that happened. They would send out messengers who would go and they would come into towns and they would say, I have the gospel of Rome to share with you. The good news of Rome. The gospel of Rome is this. We won the battle. We won the war. The king did this or the emperor did that. That was literally called the good news, the gospel of Rome. And Christians at the time went, wait a minute. That's not good news. Like, like, like there's better news than that. Better news is not what the Romans have done. It's what Jesus has done. And so we took that idea and we began to share. Listen, if you want to know what the good news is, if you want to know what the gospel is, it's not about Rome, it's about Jesus. And we took that and we understood that. Listen, if I would give you a definition, and this is mine, it's maybe not the perfect one, but if I would give you a definition of what the gospel is, it's this. The gospel is the world-changing good news that God has saved, is saving, and will completely restore the world through the power of Jesus Christ. That's some good news. That's some great news. That's something worth sharing with people in our lives. But here's the other thing I've learned. I've learned that in how we share the good news, it's a little different sometimes depending on who we're sharing it with and how we're sharing it with them. Let me give you an example, okay? Because I've, I've had this happen in my life as a youth pastor. I remember as I started out as a youth pastor, when we would talk about Jesus, we talk about salvation and all these sort of things, and, and I would talk about, you know, eternity. And, and here's the, I'm talking about a eternity, which is real, which is true, to 13, 14, 15, 18-year-olds who think that they are going to live forever. And I would share this with them. Listen, you need to get right for Jesus because eternity and blah, 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 blah. And they would just look at me like I was just crazy. It's like, I'm 13. I'm going to live another 80 years. I got plenty of time. Now, guess what I found that works with? People at the end of their lives. When we talk about those things, okay, we need to listen to that a little bit deeper. But I remember a particular instance. This was, this was way early in my ministry. 13-year-old girl. 13-year-old girl. She comes to youth. I know she doesn't know Jesus. Comes to youth. 
She sits down. I say, hey, what's going on? Can you tell she's upset? What's going on? My world is over. I'm going, oh my goodness, what happened? What, what took place? You know, I'm, I'm going, oh my goodness, is everything okay? My boyfriend broke up with me. Oh, how long have you been seeing him? Three days. My life is over. Now we laugh, ha, 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 but let's remember we were 13 once too. And I remember in that moment, like, oh, God has just opened this door. She needs you, Jesus. Now is when I should talk about her eternal soul. No. Thankfully, through the power of the Holy Spirit, not my own brain, I had a moment where I realized something. That young lady was enslaved. She wasn't enslaved like demon possession, like in our story, but she was enslaved with a fear of being alone, neglected, not important, and not loved. And I looked at her and I said, you know, I'm sorry, that hurts. I said, but you know who can heal your heart? You know who will always love you? It's Jesus. And you would have thought, like, a thousand lumen spotlight just hit her face. Because in that moment, she got it. It wasn't, she wasn't sitting there going, like, I need Jesus so I don't go to hell. Which, again, true. It was, I need Jesus to bring me freedom from these things that are binding me. And in that moment, she accepted Jesus. She accepted him, not just because I was able to not go down the wrong path, if that makes sense, but because I was also able to look at her and say, you know what? I had those experiences too. And Jesus came and changed me. You see, when you share your faith, you're sharing the good news that because of Jesus, a person can be free from whatever they're enslaved to. And some of us need to stop being so concerned about some of the other things and start to learn what people are enslaved to so that when God opens the door, we can present Jesus in our lives of what he has done to bring us freedom and hope, and peace, and joy. And it changed that young lady's life. Listen, look with me, Romans 6. Look what Paul writes here. He says, we know that our sin, old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that we might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when Christ, when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Jump to verse 11. So you should also, uh, so you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. For some of us, it's time that we start following the model of Jesus that he says when he first starts his ministry and he quotes scripture out of Isaiah. I have come to proclaim freedom to the captive. It's Jesus who said, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Freedom from eternity apart from him? Absolutely. Absolutely but freedom from everything that binds us today as well. All of it is what the good news is and what we should be proclaiming to people. 
Listen, let's look at some next steps very quickly. I want to give you some application. I don't want you just to leave this morning and go, okay, I got a bunch of new information and a new understanding of this. Now what do I do? We're going to go through these quickly, but let's look at these together. First step, don't just stand there. Pray that the Lord will give you opportunities to share your faith. Listen, you want to, I want to tell you a scary prayer. A scary prayer is you go to God and you say, God, give me opportunities to fish for people. Give me opportunities to find people that need freedom so I can proclaim freedom to them. Listen, I'm going to tell you right now, I've prayed that prayer. I probably haven't prayed it enough, but every time I've prayed it, God answered that prayer because there's a lot of people that need him. He's answered it. So pray it. Pray, pray for the opportunities. Pray for divine appointments with people in your life so that you can share your story with them. Number two, pray specifically for names and people. A lot of, oh God, just save the world. No, no, call them out by name. God, give me the opportunity to make a difference in her life or his life or my kid's life. Call their name out. There's power in your words. There's power in prayer. Call them out specifically. Write it down. Put it, in your, put it on your mirror. Do something where that name and that person is in your heart and in your mind. Focus on it. Pray specifically. Number three, look for ways to speak the gospel so they can be set free. Okay? Freedom. Freedom from their sin. Freedom from the power of death, hell, and the grave. Freedom from those things. Because here's what you're going to find. When you begin to look closely in people's lives, you're going to see through the help of the Holy Spirit things that are binding them and controlling them and that they're enslaved to. And then the last one, be obedient when God taps you on the shoulder. When God says, this is it. This is the time. Be obedient to that. Share your story. Remember, you have been called and you have, as you follow Jesus, Jesus is going to make you a fisher of people. Is it easy? No, it's not easy. Is it harder probably now than it's ever been? Yeah, probably it is, just to be honest with you. But at the same time, I feel like Jesus, when he says, the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. And for some of us, we need to once again begin to move and grow in sharing our faith. And here's the deal. You got some opportunities that are coming up. Because you know what I found? People are open to Jesus and your story around the holidays. They are. You're going to be with some of these people. You're going to be sitting there at the Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> what are you going to talk about? <laughs> you might as well talk about Jesus. You might as well share your story. It doesn't have to be weird. It doesn't have to be awkward. But it can be something that can set people free. And we need to understand the disciples didn't set the man free. Jesus set the man free. And for some of us, we need to get back to that understanding. Our job is to follow Jesus. Our job is to tell our story. Jesus, through the work of the Holy Spirit, will draw all men to himself. Let's take a moment, if you will. Let's close. Like I mentioned earlier, this, is, this was a hard message for me to share. Mainly, in some ways, because I remember some of the guilt and the shame that I felt when other pastors shared this type of message with me because I knew I wasn't necessarily fulfilling the Great Commission. And that's not what I believe God wants to do this morning. 
I know that he doesn't want to bring guilt and shame. I do think, though, that God is wanting to bring some conviction in our lives. This says, you know, I've done something pretty amazing in your life. You don't have to have all the answers. Just tell your story. Because here's the thing about our stories. Our stories aren't complete. Our stories aren't perfect because we're not perfect. We still struggle. We still deal with things. But God has called all of us to be light and salt to a world that desperately needs it. And this morning, my prayer throughout this whole week has been and is that God would help us to not be afraid anymore. That God would help us to grow in this area to the point where it's so natural that it just comes as God gives us opportunities. It's not awkward. That it just comes, it just flows. You know, when you read the New Testament, especially when you read Acts, you know, you read about Paul or Peter or Philip or whatever, and you just go, God, I want that. I want to be able to be that type of of bold individual and, and zeal. And, and here's my problem. Here's, here's the mistake I made. I thought I had to make myself that way. When Paul and Philip and Peter and everybody there, they were transformed by Jesus to be his witness. Why were we even given the Holy Spirit to begin with? So that we could be witnesses, it says in Acts 1. Our job is to follow Jesus, be obedient when he taps us on the shoulder, and share our story. doesn't mean our story can't include salvation messages. Don't be silly. But it doesn't start with this idea where you're going to hell, you need Jesus. It starts with, let me tell you what Jesus did in my life. Because here's what I found. When I'm a witness for him, my concern is not what the jury decides. My job is not to present the best argument as an attorney. My job as a witness is to faithfully relay what happened. What happened in me what happened in my family because of Jesus and what he's continuing to do in me and through me. And that's what God is calling us as a church and as individuals to do. As we grow, we must also grow in how we share our faith. So Father, we come to you right now and God, for me, I pray that you would give me opportunities. That God, that you would help me to understand what you've called me to do. You've done something amazing in my life and, and I wanna share that with people because people are looking for something and they need you. And so Father, for the one person that I have on my mind, that I've written down, that I call out on a daily basis for. God, will you give me an opportunity to share my story with him? And will you give me the, the ability to be obedient when the time comes? Help us, Father. Help us to be that light that you've called us to be so that we can make an impact with the people around us.
God, I pray against any guilt, any shame. But God, I do pray for the conviction of the Holy Spirit that will drive us in this area to proclaim your good news and freedom to the captives. You're so good. Thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of this that you want to do. We love you. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Listen, I'm, I'm sorry for keeping you so long. Didn't mean to do that, but I appreciate your patience. Listen, we're going to head out after service and head over to Jason's Deli. I'd love to have you join us. Um, also, please remember to sign up for Thanksgiving and all that. If you have any questions, please let us know. Have a great week. We'll hopefully see you soon.